You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Well, just as you thought it uh, it was all guns blazing, stimulus, uh, the markets in the U.S. have done a sharp about turn. Uh, we did see overnight cyclicals better bid. Uh, we saw banks predictably benefiting from rising yields and bashed up sectors like restaurants, travel and entertainment popping on stimulus talk. Not today, though. We also saw Netflix down around 6% post uh, the, the, the close as subscriber editions failed to match the street's expectations. Google up 1.5% despite the Department of Justice launching that massive antitrust suit. And today, some SA Inc. stocks catching a proper bid. Uh, the RAND strong. Lots to talk about with Wayne McCurry, Portfolio Manager at F&B Wealth and Investments, and Imtiaz Suleiman, Executive Director of Sensio Capital. Wayne, you'll never guess what. Fiscal stimulus talks are back on. But uh, yes. the, the market doesn't seem to be believing it. It's done an about turnover in the U.S. What's going on? You know, look, I don't, I don't think, as you said, I don't think the Netflix numbers helped all that much, to be honest. But yeah, it's always, it was totally and utterly off the table a week or two ago, and now it's back on the table. But look, some money is coming, that's for sure. Not some money, an enormous amount of money is coming. It's just a question of, is it by the current president or the new president? 2.2 trillion US dollars uh, is a pretty no, sizable uh, check to be written. Uh, MTS on that note, blue wave, red tide, which way do you see it going? Yeah, thanks, Michael. I think, you know, as the polls have shown in the last year's elections, it's very difficult um, to, to call uh, which way it will go. But, you know, I, I think for markets, I, whichever way it does go, it does signal that we will have a fiscal stimulus program, even if it's Democrats or Republicans. They vote in support of more fisc- uh, fiscal measures. It's just that uh, you know President Trump is trying to sort of delay it, uh, not to benefit the Democratic uh, states um, over the Republican states. So I think it's 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 going to be uh, a positive uh, outcome uh, for markets if we do have an uncontested election, which is the main thing. Uh, and, and, and that's what markets are looking for, that elections go smoothly and it, it remains uncontested. And uh, if you see uh, a Biden win, uh, which let's say the, the pollsters are picking, but I agree with you, it's still too close to call cool, MTS. Uh, and uh, as 2016 showed, uh, things can change uh, as we hit uh, squeaky bum time. I think Sir Alex Ferguson called uh, the, the last few days uh, um, ahead of an election. Well, he certainly didn't call uh, the last few days of a head in, ahead of an election that he was talking about extra time in a football match. But you know what I, I mean. Uh, when you look at the impact of a Biden victory, uh, it's supposedly going to be much better for emerging markets because it then opens up foreign policy uh, to be far more uh, multilateral rather than the unilateral approach of a Donald Trump. And uh, that should mean emerging markets get a proper bid. We also see taxes raised, which means a lot of capital flows out of the U.S. and back into EMs and and maybe Asia. Is that how you see things playing out? Should we get a blue wave? Yeah, uh, you know, I think under a sort of democratic president, um, we will get sort of policy certainty. You know, with President Trump, it's been quite uncertain. Um, You know, policy has been driven to some extent over Twitter. You know, you wake up one morning and there's a new directive. So that will be good for markets. Um, 
Whether the Democrats um, ultimately tackle higher corporate taxes, that remains to be seen. But I think uh, from fiscal measures, um, we're certainly expecting more fiscal stimulus from a Democratic win over a Republican win. And Wayne, uh, to, to come back to the issue of, of tech, yesterday the Department of Justice launched this antitrust yes. suit up against uh, Google. The market uh, sort of shrugged it off, uh, up 1.4% on the back of the news. Is that the market saying that the, the, the regulators can talk all they like, uh, the remedies are less certain and less clear? What do you do if Google has become too big and controls search yes. and controls the internet? Uh, how do you break it up? Yes, understand this is only just starting. And it's not Google, it's Facebook, it's all the social media, it's Twitter. Governments don't like, politicians don't like something that's massive and strong and can sway world opinion. They fundamentally don't like it. And I think it's going to be an ongoing attack. What they can do about it, I don't know, but it's going to be an ongoing attack because let's just say... Twitter favors one politician over another via whatever, how, however they do it. And it only shows negative articles on the one and positive articles on the other or supports a social cause that aligns with a particular politician and does not align with another politician. Politicians hate this. So I think this is going to be a theme for the next decade. What they can do about it, I don't know, because obviously people don't want them interfering with their Twitter and their Facebook and their what all the other 20 apps that I don't even know what they are. But yes, this is a continuing thing. Big. And we've seen it with Zuckerberg. He's been in front of Congress. Not, it's yeah. not, not the first time. Yeah, and it, it, it'll be uh, extremely um, contested over the next few uh, months and years, I expect, as we see a lot of lobbying coming out uh, pro the network effects, which have on balance been positive. Uh, for society. If you look at the bringing down the cost of communications, access to, to new products and services, financial inclusion, all of these things driven by big tech, it's really risen to the fore through the COVID crisis. So uh, there's a balancing act that one needs to strike here as well. Uh, speaking of balancing acts, if you look at uh, Brexit, it does look like Boris Johnson is looking increasingly like a, a juggler who's dropping a few balls. Imtiaz, uh, uh, if you uh, look at what's going on, around Brexit. He's looking increasingly isolated. Uh, it's uh, a bit of a disaster and the imposition of tighter controls on the greater Manchester area without support from local leaders isn't going down well. His cabinet officer Michael Gove said yesterday to 250 businesses on a 20-minute call to uh, step up preparations for the end of the transition period and saying Brexit is just like moving to a new house. Initially a hassle but ultimately worth it and that apparently went down like a bucket of Sick. Yeah, I think, you know, Michael, this whole Brexit issue has been sort of diabolical. Um, it's been managed quite poorly, and time is running out. But I think if you look at both sides uh, of the negotiating table between the EU and um, the UK, they would like to reach a deal um, and by the by the end of the term. But you know, it, it's largely centered around three issues, which is the fishing rights in British waters. Um, and secondly, fair competition rules for business. 
and then thirdly, you know, mechanisms for for resolving future disputes. So these issues are not major in their own sense and can be resolved, but it just comes down to um, both parties willing to negotiate and give up something in that negotiation. Wayne, do you see that, though? I, I can't see either party budging at this stage. No, uh, I don't think so either, to be honest. And I mean, all of this, you know, Boris Johnson had an agreement and he unilaterally changed some of the terms of the agreement, and that's the big fight going on now. Look, I mean, I'll use an analogy. When my son went to university and left home for the first time uh, on his own and he went and stayed in Cape Town, et cetera, et cetera, I gave him one bit of advice. I said, if it seems like a good idea at half past two in the morning, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> so I think Brexit sounded like a good idea at the time. I'm not too sure the majority of people think it's a good idea now. Well, uh, a few uh, out with Nigel Farage at that time in the morning would think a lot of things are a good idea. Uh, looking at uh, the um, the story around Nigeria, uh, that is uh, really developing uh, at, a, at quite a rapid rate. Uh, you know, protests is uh, shot. Um, looking at uh, the impact that that is going to have on uh, on the country uh, from a geopolitical perspective, uh, it really doesn't look very good for uh, Buhari at this stage. Uh, and you've got yesterday Pick and Pay announcing that it's going into Nigeria, a country where so many other South African corporates have had their fingers burnt in the past. Looking at MTN share price today, seems to be dealing with it. Uh, it was up 0.65%. So that tells you uh, the, the market not seeing this as uh, overly um, uh, necessarily dramatic yet. Uh, I I don't know so much. Uh, MTS. Yeah, I think uh, the situation is quite fluid, and you know we have to monitor it uh, quite closely. But it, you know, does this sort of manifest into something more serious? Um, you know, the economy is already under pressure from uh, COVID and lower oil prices. GDP is going to be down around 5% this year. Um, you know, the, the recovery is going to be quite muted given oil prices haven't recovered that quickly. So, you, you know, when the economy is under pressure, um, you have unemployment rising, it creates um, social instability. And all of these issues are a combination of those uh, that those hard times that are really reflecting in the protests. Um, so, although they disbanded this unit, you know it, it, the, the citizens are still unhappy. So, I think it's something to watch really closely. Uh, and the currency is controlled by the central bank. Uh, it, what they ultimately do with the currency, and and you know by how much they weaken it, that's going to be key for the stocks that you mentioned, uh, MTN, Mpac, and Shopify. Yeah, and uh, and pick and pay now. I hope Richard Brash is uh, stealing for all of that when he goes into, uh, admittedly, the uh, the largest economy in Africa, massive market. If you look at the size of uh, uh, of places like Lagos and elsewhere, uh, in terms of sheer numbers of people, but very difficult operating environment. Uh, Quilter was down 1.8% today, Wayne, on the back of uh, a third quarter trading statement that didn't look terrible. Uh, group inflows stood at £1.2 billion uh, for the nine months to end September. That's from yeah. outflows of £200 million previously. What did the market dislike about this? No, I don't think the market particularly disliked this. I mean, it's down about 2%. You know, is it is it an exciting business? You know, their net free cash flow is basically zero if you take into account the sales 
and the, the amounts paid out and surrendered. You know, so it's 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 on a two hundred and ten odd billion assets under management and administration. So you're not really growing the books. So you, you're basically taking a punt on the share market because all of their fees will be uh, based on the underlying value of the assets. And that's not growing enormously as far as I can make out yet. Mm, mm. And, you know, probably the most optimistic you can say about global share markets is that the bull market, the big run, is probably near its end now. So also the, the equity market outlook doesn't look negative, but it clearly doesn't look positive either. So you know, I don't know whether you want to actually go into in, into quarter now. And of course, UK-based, as you spoke about earlier on with Brexit, and that it brings in a great deal of uncertainty there as well. Yeah, and there are better avenues, I think, out there. 91, Coronation, uh, yes. a few others uh, that are probably giving you a better geared play into the equity market. Uh, long for life. Uh, fascinating. This uh, The market... Um, really uh, chasing long for life up 13% on the back of a, a very difficult first half. And if you look at what Brian Joffe has done here, he's built up this uh, portfolio of assets in leisure and lifestyle, which have been absolutely hammered by COVID, uh, Sorbet, um, uh, the, the group's drinks business, uh, Inclair Beverages and Chilled Beverages, uh, at least operated through the lockdown. But, but really, the market, I suppose, MTS is looking forward through these results and saying, if you look at the cash on hand, if you look at the way Brian Joffe and his management team have conserved cash, have uh, reined in um, any, uh, any tendencies to grow and rather remain resilient, uh, it, it still offers a very attractive proposition at a 53% discount to its net asset value. I suppose there's, uh, uh, there's a lot of margin for safety. Yeah, I think uh, one thing with all these holding companies, they do trade at significant discounts um, to their net asset value. But if you look at um, the underlying trends of the businesses, they're certainly recovering from the lockdown lows and benefiting as the economy opens up. Um, If you take something like a sportsman's warehouse, they're benefiting from uh, people gymming at home, uh, exercise, running, cycling, outdoor activities. The legard in the stable is is sorbet, and you know as consumers are reluctant to go back to a salon, given that we're still dealing with the pandemic, you know that they're still recovering at a slower rate. But a very strong balance sheet, as you mentioned, um, you know the, the, the share price uh, is trading at a significant discount, but also on a, on a P of seven, price to book of. Point five, so not not at um, sort of lofty levels, and you know, we've seen this trend of call it the smaller value shares remain a show me story. Once um, results are reported, um, the share prices sort of bolt up after that if yeah. they. That's a definite theme. Uh, And Wayne, to bring you in on that, we've seen it time and time again over the last couple of weeks. SA Inc. stocks seem to be priced for absolute catastrophe. So when they come out and it hasn't been absolutely catastrophic, uh, you know, they've tended to run. Is the market just slightly too pessimistic around SA Inc. at the moment? I think so, because you're quite correct. A lot of the results that have come out are better than expectations. We can pay a lot of them. So I think, yes, the market is underpricing SA Inc., but of course that could change next week again. I mean, who knows? <laughs> you know, you're in such a precarious situation here. Um, but look, a lot of economists that I chat to now are saying 
listen, maybe we're a little bit pessimistic and there's risks to the upside here. Maybe we're knocking it too much. So, and I think we're starting to see the results coming through, the leading indicators coming through, a lot of data coming through saying, you know, maybe it's bad, but it's not as bad as what was initially anticipated. Yeah, we saw we saw that in cash build today as well. Yeah. MTS, first quarter operational update. Um, the the first quarter uh, showed strong first six weeks sales. Um, so uh, uh, the, uh, the underlying message in this business is that while uh, the South African consumer was smacked by COVID, uh, there was a lot of um, concern around job losses that uh, potentially... Uh, uh, some of the interventions that we've seen, uh, the unemployment insurance fund stepping in, government stepping in, has uh, allayed some of those concerns in the labour market. I saw a Nedbank report out today saying that it got its forecast for job losses horribly wrong this year. It had to revise it from 1.6 million back down to 500,000. And a lot of this we're seeing come through in the numbers of a cash build, for example. What did you make of that operational update? Yeah, we're certainly benefiting from the trend of work from home. You know, as consumers spend more time at their homes, they've done a sort of small renovation projects, uh, making their work environment a bit more nicer, to say. Um, and cash build, you know, plays very nicely in that space. So I think as consumers um, had their time or more time on the hand, um, you know, whether they were... Um, not working or even working from home, uh, they, they were upgrading their, their workspace. So I think, you know, it's, it's a trend that will continue um, as the economy opens up. Um, there will be the opening up of the offices, but there will be an element that still works from home. And, you know, cash build is a beneficiary of um, that trend. And then Libstar also announcing results that uh, that, uh, beat market expectations. It uh, wasn't up uh, quite the 13% that we saw with the long for life or, or, or cash build, but uh, almost 5% uh, move up on the day, Wayne. On the back of these numbers, Libstar um, has some uh, some really big uh, food brands in its stable, yeah. Lancewood, uh, Dick and Hall, uh, some tier two brands as well that does a lot of white label stuff as well. What stood out for you in these numbers? Look, I'm, I'm a little bit cautious in general about food producers. I, you know, I, I don't know how much value they can actually add. They're very cyclical businesses, but the numbers weren't bad at all from the update. wasn't bad at all from Lipstone. I think the market rewarded it uh, uh, correctly. But very similar to what we were chatting about, SA Inc. seems to be doing a little bit better than what people initially anticipated. And any bit of good news, the shares jumped quickly eh? So, I'm going to ask you as a final question, both of you, MTS, maybe we can begin with you. What is the one bit of good news or maybe two pieces of good news that you'd like to see from the finance minister next week? If we're talking about pulling uh, rather large rabbits out of increasingly small hats, what does he have to do here? I think for me, it would be a stabilization on the expenditure expenditure side, and that's especially on um, sort of uh, government wages and salaries. And then secondly, some sort of resolution or just an indication of getting a handle on SOE debt, and the big one there is the ESCOM debt. Wayne? I can't add much more than what India said there. That's also what I'd like to see. In other words, I just want, we just want to see some decisive action.
decisive action uh, and the president did lay the groundwork for it in his uh, reconstruction and uh, recovery plan saying that funds would be redirected towards infrastructure uh, towards things like social grants um, and other areas didn't mention the the wage bill it's not it's not like he said we're taking money away from labor but it was implied so now it is over to the finance minister to draw that line in the sand and uh, hopefully give us uh, uh, some more insight as well into just what the thinking is with regards to the likes of ESCOM and SAA, lest we forget. Uh, and we had such an opportunity to let SAA go. If ever there was a golden opportunity, gift-wrapped uh, for, uh, uh, for, for Treasury and for government to say there's a pandemic that has battered the global airline industry. We've thrown so much money at SAA. Now's the time to cut our losses. And they could have blamed it on the pandemic. But no, what did we do? We tried to hold on to the thing and we shredded... Uh, the last remaining bit of our credibility. Let's see if we can regain it again next week in that mini-budget. Uh, Wayne McCurry, Portfolio Manager at F&B Wealth and Investments, and MTR Suleiman, Executive Director of Sencho Capital, with your view from the market.